Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, so, so far we've been studying the life of one of the heroes of the faith. We've been studying the life of Abram, also known as Abraham. This Abram or Abraham is a man that God had called out of Ur of the Chaldeans in order to be the forefather of the Hebrews or Jews and also the Messiah. And so the forefather of the Messiah and through the Messiah, all nations of the earth will be blessed because all nations of the earth will have an opportunity to repent and receive the salvation that is only offered through this Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to try to go through an entire um, chapter, of course. So Genesis 12, verse 4, all the way through Genesis chapter 13, verse 4. And we do have a title for uh, the study. And so the title is, I'm Going Back. I'm Going Back. Now, there are some things in life that, of course, we would not want to go back to. Just some horrible things we, we just would not want to go back to. We would not want to uh, experience those things again. However, there are some things in life that are worth going back to. And so in this study tonight, we're going to talk about one thing in particular that is worth going back to. And so we pick up our study in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to start with verses 4 through 6. It says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sariah's wife and Lot his brother's son. So this is Haran's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people or the servants whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So this is the promised land. And so they came to the land of Canaan. In verse 6, Abram passed or traveled through the land to the place of Shechem, which means back or shoulder. And he went as far as the terebinth or the oak tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were then in the land. And so Abram, he, he was supposed to have left his country, also his family and his father's house in order to go to Canaan that the Lord will show him. The Lord God will lead him there. And the scriptures tell us in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, they tell us that Stephen or Stephen, one of the servants of the Lord, he and he, he informs us pretty much that God appeared to Abram before he dwelt in Haran and he gave this commandment or this call to Abram or Abraham. And so in the scriptures, we see that Abram was partially obedient because his father and also his nephew Lot went with him from Ur of the Chaldeans while they were on their way to Canaan. But remember, he was supposed to leave his family and his father's house. So that's why I say he was partially obedient. He's making his way to, to Canaan. 
The scriptures tell us that they made a stop in Haran while his father was still alive. His father's name is Terah. And they dwelt in Haran. And this, by the way, is where his father, Terah, died. According to Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. Now, many believe that Abram received a second call or command to leave his country, his father's house, as well as family. They believe he received a second call here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, which we studied the previous week. The scriptures tell us in tonight's study that Abram left Haran at the age of 75. But yet and still he had a family member with him outside of his wife. He had his nephew Lot with him. And so we see more partial obedience in that he didn't leave his family Uh, But overall, Abram demonstrated his faith by at least departing from Haran like the Lord wanted him to. And so he he did demonstrate some faith. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So again, that's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And so just like with Abram or Abraham, God may call us to step out in faith. And we may not know where God has taken us. We may not know where we are going. All we know is that we're going into unfamiliar territory, something that may be uncomfortable for us, away from family and so forth. So piggybacking on a previous point from the last study. So the question needs to be asked again, that even though we may not know where God may be taking us, may be leading us, are we willing to obey? And will we obey? Or it may not be physically moving from one location to another, from one job to another, from one community to another, from one church to another. It may not be that in regard to location, but, uh, but maybe it's in regard to a, a certain situation that God may want us to handle a certain situation in a particular way. And, and we don't know where God is going with this. Lord, why do you want me to handle it that way? We begin to give God advice, begin to give him feedback. Lord, it, it would seem that it will be easier if I were to do it this way or, or that way. So yes, God may want us to handle a situation a certain way, but the question has to be asked again, will we obey even if we don't see where that situation is going. And so we will be better off, of course, by obeying the word of God, the will of God. And so now we see that Abram and his group arrived in Canaan and they came to a place by the name of Shechem and Shechem was located in the central part of Israel. And at this point, it's the name is Canaan, but it's talking about Israel. What we know as Israel now. And so in Shechem, he went as far as the Oak of Moray, which was a well-known landmark during that time. And by the way, at that time, there were Canaanites in the land, the scriptures tell us. And these Canaanites were sinful. These were idol-worshiping people. They were in the land at that time. And so here you have Abram, 
a worshiper of the true and the living God, a worshiper of Yahweh and surrounded by sinful Canaanites. And so you see, we're going to see how this story plays out. And so in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said to your descendants, I will give this land. I will give Canaan to your descendants, to your offspring. And there Abram built an altar to the Lord. He dedicated to God, to Yahweh. And this is the same Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar. This, was, this will be another altar, of course. An altar, by the way, is a place of sacrifice and worship. And so he built that altar there. Right in between Bethel and I. Made it to the Lord. Dedicated it to him. And he called upon the name of the Lord. Worshiped the Lord. As he gave praises to God. As he gave thanksgiving to the Lord. As he... Pray to God. He worshiped him as he constructed that altar. So in verse 9, Abram journeyed. He journeyed by stages going on still toward the south or in Hebrew, the Negev, which is the south country of Judah. And so God appeared once again to Abram in Shechem. And so when he appeared to him, he appeared in in most likely what we would call a theophany, which would be a visible manifestation of God. This wouldn't be God in all of his glory because the scriptures tell us that God dwells in unapproachable light. And Jesus tells us that nobody has seen God the Father at any time. So this is most likely what we would call also maybe a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. In other words, this is an Old Testament appearance of Christ before he became that baby who was born in Bethlehem. And so he appeared to Abram or Abraham. And he built an altar there, dedicated it to the Lord. He was not ashamed to worship his God in the midst of a sinful people, these Canaanites, these idol worshiping Canaanites. He He still constructed or put an altar there to his God, unashamed. And so will we be unashamed to declare the God that we serve in this generation that we live in? No matter what community in which God places us, will we be unashamed in worshiping him? Will we be unashamed in declaring the God we serve? We'll be unashamed in sharing the gospel Will we be unashamed in saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? That he's the only way to the Father. That he's the only way to heaven. Will we be unashamed of that? See, Jesus says in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 38. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. He says of him. The son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Are you ashamed of the Lord? Are you ashamed of the gospel? 
So that's not something that we want to be. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Because the God that we serve, he stepped out of eternity. And he came as a servant. He came in the form of a human. He came in the likeness of sinful man. However, he never sinned. He has a human nature, but never a sinful nature. And so, yes, according to his human nature, he experienced weakness physically in the body. He had to take naps. He got tired. He needed to eat. He got thirsty. He moved from one place to another. He walked. He got in the boat. And so he experienced humanity. Fully man, fully God. Or as some would say, truly man, truly God. And so that's what our Savior did for us. That's what our God did for us. You see, religion is about man trying to do a bunch of things to earn his way or her way into heaven. Or to earn God's love. That's, that's religion, work-based. But in Christianity, we see God doing the heavy lifting We see God doing the work. You you see Jesus taking the blame as if he were the guilty party. And you also see our Lord and Savior being raised from the dead. It's been said once before by, by many theologians that a dead Savior cannot save anyone. And so praise God that yes, our Savior died on our behalf. He died on account of sin. The one who committed no sin, he knew no sin, but yet and still he became sin for us, which means that he became a sin offering for us so that we can be the righteousness of God in him. So that, in other words, we can have a right standing with God. That's what our Savior did. And he's alive right now. He's at the right hand of the Father. It says he's making intercession for us, for the saints. Is that a God? Is that a Savior that we should be ashamed of? The one who hung on that cross, his love kept him on that cross. He could have come down and there's some who mocked him and said, hey, you know, you're all this, you're all that. Why don't you save yourself? But thank God Jesus didn't listen to the mockers who told him to, to save himself because if he would have saved himself, then we would not have an opportunity to be saved today. But our Savior stayed there. Is that a Savior that we should be ashamed of? Absolutely not. So just like Abram was not ashamed to put that altar there to, to demonstrate that he worships Yahweh. We should not be ashamed of the God we serve. And so Abram, the scriptures tell us here in these set of verses in Genesis 12, verses 7 through 9, he went farther south and he set up his tent between Bethel and I. And the fact that he set up a tent and he didn't build a house, it shows that he was not a permanent resident. In fact, he was a pilgrim. He was a pilgrim in the land that God would give to his descendants and his descendants will will eventually inherit it and inhabit it. The Jewish people. That's that's what I'm speaking of. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, speaking of Abraham and even add Sarah in there. 
It says that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. That that's a that's a faith type of description. This is talking about faith here. So they have they've seen the promises afar off. And they were assured of them. They they embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So this Abram, we see he built a tent, a, a sign that he was, this, he was not a permanent resident, although God, of course, had promised his descendant that land, that promised land, Canaan. And just like Abram or Abraham, we are pilgrims in this world. As believers, we are pilgrims. In other words, we're just passing through. And so the lives that we live right now as believers, these are, it's temporary, that the struggles that you're going through right now is temporary. The sickness that you might even have right now is temporary. The financial woes that you're going through right now is temporary. We're just pilgrims passing through. Scriptures tell us, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, if you want to write it down, that we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship, to be exact, is in heaven. That's the kingdom that we are a part of. And what I liked about this, where it talks about where he set up his tent, notice that he set up his tent between Bethel and I. And so Bethel, by the way, means house of God. And I means heaps of ruin or dump. And so he set up his tent between house of God and heap of ruins. And as temporary residents like like Abram, as pilgrims like Abram, what we have as believer is the eternal house of God on one side of us, or I should say maybe ahead of us. We have the eternal house of God before us or on one side. But on the other side of us, as believers, we have this heap of ruins, this world, this, this world system. And so we are in a, a pilgrim state. We are in a temporary state right now in this life before eternity. And no, are we looking forward? Are we looking forward to, to being in that eternal house of God and leaving the heap of ruins, this world system behind? As a matter of fact, although we don't have our glorified bodies right now, and we're not in the eternal house of God right now. Because we're going through this process of sanctification right now. But as we're going through this process of sanctification, practically, as believers, have you left the heap of ruins or this world system behind? Or, or will somebody look at your life and... And think that, hey, you're, you're, you're just like us. You're a part of the heap of ruins, the world system like we are. You see, every now and then as believers, we need to evaluate if our lives are more like the citizens of heaven or as people who are attached to this world or this world system or heap of ruins. We're pilgrims. We're pilgrims who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we should be living by the set of rules that come from our king, from our heavenly king. 
chapter 12, verses 10 through 13, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. He went to dwell there as a foreigner. For this famine was severe in the land, hardly any food. And verse 11, it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. In in other words, um, you're a woman of um, beautiful appearance. Or as some would say to their wives, woman, you are fine. And so, therefore, it will happen that when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake or because of you. So because of you, uh, because they're going to like you because you're so beautiful, they're going to let me live if you just tell them that you're my sister. I want to live. You can be my hero. And so Abram and his group, they left the promised land and they went down to Egypt. And Egypt, and many of you may know this, is in the scriptures, it's a symbol of the world. And in this, by the way, as he moved to Egypt, as he traveled to Egypt with his his crew, there is no indication that he prayed to the Lord, that, that he sought the Lord, that he asked the Lord for advice. There's no clue of that. But he just went. Fearful that maybe his needs wouldn't be taken care of in this land of promise in Canaan. So he's in Egypt, this symbol of the world. And so at this time, Sarai is about 65 years old. The scriptures tell us that she's 10 years younger than than he is. And at the same time, by the way, she is his half-sister, something I shared in the previous study. And that's according to Genesis 20, verse 12. So she is his half-sister. And so they share the same father, but they have different mothers. And so Abram actually told half of the story. He didn't reveal the part that, okay, she's his wife. And, and, he, and he influenced his wife to fall in line with the, with the lie. And so, yes, he told to have truth, but he, he was being deceptive. And what this showed is that he had a lack of trust, that there was a lack of trust on Abram's part, on this man of God's part. Or some would say there's this lapse in his faith. And so this is what we're seeing here in But as we read the scriptures and we study what the Lord had told Abram, there should be at least two reasons for him to trust the Lord. And the first reason he should trust the Lord even, well, first of all, he should have trusted the Lord to stay in Canaan and that God would provide even in that time of famine. But even after he went to Egypt, he should have still trusted the Lord. And one reason, again, is because of God's promises. So that's one of the reasons he should have trusted God because of God's promises to him. God told him about his future. He's going to make you a great nation. So so in other words, if God made that promise to him that a great nation is going to come through him and that all nations of the earth will be blessed, which speaks of all of us, all nations, all people groups being blessed through, through this man because of his descendant, the Christ, according to his humanity, according to Jesus' humanity and what he would do. 
So if God made that promise to him, then God is not going to let him die before he has a child with his wife, Sarai or Sarah. And so that's one of the two reasons for him to trust in God, God's promises. And, and the second reason is because of God's character. And within God's character is truth. And in fact, Jesus is the truth. God is truth. And so God doesn't lie. And so God's promises and God's character, those are two reasons for Abram to have trusted in God at this time. And so this is a lesson for us that, that in difficult times, when we can't see the end, when, when we don't know how things are going to turn out, what we need to do is fall back on those two things as well. Fall back on God's promises in his word. Fall back on God's character. That God doesn't lie. That God is good. That God is gracious. That God is merciful. That God is righteous. That God is holy. That God is just. That God is immutable. That means that God does not change. So we fall back on his attributes. We fall back on his character. Especially when there's things that, that maybe we can't even find in the scriptures. Lord, why does this, hap- this thing happening to my family? Uh, why is this bad thing happening in my life? Lord, I've done nothing but, but serve you. I've done nothing but pray to you. I've woke up every morning just, just spending time with you in your word. But yet and still. Lord, these things are coming into my life. This famine, if you will, just to use this example, has come into my life. And and Lord, I've done everything you told me to do. So, So maybe there's some of you in that position, but I would encourage you to fall back on what you know about the Lord. Fall back on his promises. Fall back on his character. But Abram, it says that he feared He feared these humans in in Egypt. And the Bible has something to say about that. Proverbs 29, 25 says that the fear of man brings a snare. It brings a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And the Hebrew word behind safe there is raised high. So whatever's after you won't be able to get you. Whoever trusts in the Lord. But yeah, that fear of man is a, it's just a trap. Matthew 10, 28, this is Jesus speaking. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. They cannot kill that immaterial part of you. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And the Greek word behind hell there. And yes, Jesus talked about hell. But that Greek word is Gehenna. It's talking about the lake of fire that you see in Revelation chapter 20. When death and Hades is going to be cast into that lake of fire. And so God is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna in hell in that lake of fire. So if we're going to fear anyone, we should fear him and not those just can touch our bodies so the best they can threaten us with in other words is i'm gonna help you get to heaven faster that that's pretty much what it is but i would encourage you brothers and sisters in christ to not take your eyes off of god don't take your eyes off of him 
Apparently, Abram did, and we can learn a lesson from him. And so we're not ridiculing him, but it's, it's recorded here in the Bible for us to learn from him, to learn from the things he did well, to learn from mistakes. In verses 14 through 16, so it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman. They saw Sarai, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also took her. And commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. She was made a part of his harem, this group of women that were associated with this one man. And in verse 16, he treated Abram well because of her or for her sake. And so Abram, he came away with sheep, with oxen, with male donkeys, and male and female servants, and female donkeys, and camels. You see, due to Abram's fear of man... He put his wife and he put his marriage in danger. And this is a lesson for the men who are husbands today. See, husbands, we must take a stand for our wives. We must protect our wives. We must protect our marriages, not just physically, but but spiritually and even emotionally. But the question I want to pose to all of us, including myself, because I am a husband, is that are, are we covering our wives in the word? Are we washing our wives in the, in the water of the word? And that's one way we can protect our wives. And are we covering our wives through our prayers to the Lord? In fact, there's something that's interesting that is said in the scriptures and in one of the letters in the New Testament I believe the Lord used uh, Peter to, to write uh, the following thought that I'm going to share with you. And speaking about husbands, it says, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. Why? So our prayers will not be hindered. And so if we're not dwelling with our wives with understandings, our prayers could be hindered. And so are we covering our wives through our prayers? Are we covering our wives in the word? So spiritually, physically, like I said, even emotionally, but, but, but Abram, he put his wife and his marriage in danger here in Egypt, which once again, it represents or it's a symbol of the world. In verse 17, it says, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So here, take your wife and get out of here. So, Mo, so not Moses, but Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so somehow Pharaoh's made aware that Sarai was really Abram's wife. And so maybe he connected the dots that once I made her a part of this household, of my household, that, that these plagues all of a sudden have, have come upon me and my house. Maybe he made that connection. Maybe he connected those dots. And so what, what kind of impression, it's a rhetorical question, what kind of impression did Abram leave with the Egyptians and with Pharaoh, their king? It definitely wasn't a good impression because he wasn't a good example. But as believers, we must think and we must pray before we act. Because we don't want to give anyone an opportunity to blaspheme our God. 
We don't want to give anybody an opportunity to, to say, oh, that's so you're supposed to serve this God of the Bible and this is how you're behaving. You're no different than me. We don't want to give the world an opportunity to blaspheme the true and the living God. Therefore, we want to be blameless in the way we live. Blameless. So in other words, there's no overt or a clear or obvious sin in our lives that the, that the world can point to. Colossians 4 5 says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Speaking of unbelievers, redeeming the time. The New Living Translation words it this way. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. So that's what it means to redeem the time. You make the most of every opportunity. But, but, but I'm going to share with you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that, that if we're not living according to the word of God, we are not making the most of every opportunity to share the gospel. We are not making the most of every opportunity to minister to others in need. But we need to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. If they want to say something evil about us while we're doing good, while we're being obedient, then, then so be it. But, but don't be talked about. Don't be uh, a person who suffers or goes to jail because you committed a crime, because you broke the law, because you're disobedient to the word of God. Don't be that type of Christian. But, but if you're going to go to jail, if you're going to get in trouble, if they're going to talk about you, let it be because you are obedient to the word of God. Let it be because you are loyal to the word of God. You are loyal to the God of the Bible. And so don't give them any opportunity to blaspheme our God, walk wisely among the non-believers. The next chapter in, in Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him, so his nephew still with them. So they went to the south or the Negev, the south country of Judah, which is in the south area of Israel. So Abram, he was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And he went on his journey by stages from the south as far as Bethel. Remember, we talked about Bethel, house of God, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I to the place of the altar, which he made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. There he worshiped the Lord. He worshiped the Lord again. And so by the grace of God, Abram came back into the land of Canaan, into the land God had promised to him and his descendants. He came back richer than when he left. God's grace. You see, because of the grace of God, many of us have even come out of a mess that we've made better than we should have. And so some, many of us have experienced God's blessing us in spite of us. Made some crazy mistakes along the way, but, but God somehow, some way has been gracious to many of us. And like Abram, we've come out even, we come out better. And so that's something to praise God about and hopefully not make that silly mistake again. And so we see Abram, this man of God, we, we seen him make his way back to the altar where he pitched his tent, where he set up his tent. 
between Bethel and I. He made his way back from Canaan to Egypt, back to Canaan, back to between the, the, the area of Bethel and I, that place where he set up the altar. And he began to worship the Lord. In other words, he went back to the last place between Bethel and I, where he had close fellowship with the Lord. He went back to that place. He strayed a little bit. First of all, when he left Canaan, due to a lack of trust that God would provide for him in the time of famine, he, he strayed a little bit in Egypt when he told that lie because he was fearful of man. But now back in the last place he was when, we, when he had close fellowship with God, back to the altar. And many of us have had this similar story, a similar narrative to Abram. Because earlier in your walk, speaking of your life, your lifestyle with the Lord, earlier in that walk, that, that walk was close. You sensed the, the presence of God oh so near. You relied on the Holy Spirit. You were, you were really close in your walk with him, in your fellowship with him. You were on fire for the Lord. Your prayer life was effective. You, you were happy to give. You, you look forward to serving at once upon a time in your life. You, you, you've even experienced that freshness once upon a time as you spent that time daily with the Lord. So you've been in that place similar to Abram when he first built that altar between Bethel and I before going to Egypt. You, you enjoyed that time at the altar. In other words, you enjoyed that time of fellowship and worshiping the Lord as you, as you sang those songs, as you, as you worshiped the Lord, as you lifted up those praises to him, as you lifted up those holy hands unto him. You enjoyed that time of worshiping the Lord, but, but maybe somewhere along the way you've gotten off track. And maybe that's not where you are right now, but maybe you, you've been in that place and you can relate. And so if you're not in this place right here where you've gotten off track from fellowshipping with the Lord, if you're not in that place right now and you're past that, and I would encourage you to spend time praising the Lord, to, to, to spend time giving him thanksgiving, giving him thanks. But, but, but if you're on the other side of this, if, if the shoe uh, fits this way where you are one of those who have gotten off track and you're still off track in your fellowship with the Lord. It's not as close as it used to be. Then maybe, then maybe right now you're feeling like that or you are like that church in Ephesus. The, it's called the loveless church. Maybe you're in that position of the loveless church, the church of Ephesus and Revelation for whatever the reason may be. Revelation 2, 4 says, and this is after Jesus gave some commendation in his letter to them. In his letter to the pastor of his church, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your 
first love. In other words, you, you used to do things because you used to do things out of a motive of love. But now maybe they are doing it out of duty. Oh, I'm just checking off the box. I, I used to love going to church and worshiping with the brothers and sisters in Christ corporately. But now it's just something to check off of my list. And, and I have no joy anymore when I do it. I, I don't love doing it anymore. But, but I'm just here. Now, I used to have that joy and love, some would say, as I, and I taught the children in Sunday school. But, but now I'm just, I'm just doing it just because they, they need somebody. You left your first love. Where, where is that fire? Where is that passion that you once had? Maybe someone is in that place right now. Or like I said, maybe you've been there and you're out of that now. So once again, praise God if you're out of that. Or, or maybe you've gone through that period of not trusting God in your circumstance because you just couldn't see how God would take care of it. Just, just like Abram. So maybe you, in a sense, left that altar, that place of, cold, uh, of close fellowship or, or could it be you've, you, you've gotten off track because maybe you, you've gotten complacent due to the, the same routines and, and you're not seeing any change? Complacency, off track, left the place of close fellowship with the Lord. That, that place like Abraham between Bethel and I. Or could it be that maybe you've gotten a little too busy, so maybe that's why you've gotten off track. But I would encourage you to discern what has driven a wedge between you and your fellowship with the Lord. What, what has gotten in the, in the way of you being at that altar, that place of sacrifice, that place of worship, that, that place of close fellowship. But what has driven a wedge between you and that close-knit fellowship with the Lord? And so discern what that is. And like Abraham, go back to the altar or go back to that place in your life where there was that deep fellowship with the Lord. So just like it says in our title, in the title of the study, I would just say to make up in your mind today that I'm, that I'm going back. Because this is something that is worth going back to, that place of deep fellowship with the Lord. If you left that place in your mind, like I said, say, I'm going back. Then I'm going back to that place of vibrant worship. That I'm going back to that place where God mattered the most. Make up in your mind that I'm, I'm going back to that place where I've trusted God no matter what. Some way along the way, Lord, I just stopped trusting you like I should have. But Lord, I'm, I'm deciding tonight to go back to that place of the altar, the, the place of close fellowship. That place in your life where you trusted the Lord. Where with the Lord you just felt like Superman. Superwoman. 
Go back to that place in your life where you used to be a prayer warrior. You pray for anybody. You prayed any time. You prayed for, for anything. And you just knew that God was going to move. You just, you just trusted the Lord to be all powerful. That he was going to move in those people's lives that you prayed for. That he was going to move in that situation that you prayed about. So make up in your mind that I'm going back to that place of deep fellowship with him. That, that place where I was a prayer warrior. Make up in your mind that I'm going back to that place in my life when, when I was totally devoted to the Lord. Right now, Lord, some of you may say I'm, I'm more devoted to my job. I'm more devoted to my spouse. I'm more devoted to my hobby. I'm more devoted, some, would, some people would say, to my, to my political party. Make up in your mind that I'm going back to that place of devotion to you, Lord. That regardless of the culture and what the culture says, regardless of what the culture is doing, regardless of what the, what, what the culture says is right and wrong, Lord, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't go along with your word, I'm going to be devoted to you. I'm going back to that place. Lord, I may be in the midst of Canaanites, of idol worshipers, of, of people living in sin and okay with sin. I may be in the midst of that, but Lord, I'm going back to that place of devotion, that place of deep worship, that place of deep fellowship. Lord God, I know of the potential dangers and I'm suffering the, the, these various dangers and, and these various situations that are uncomfortable for me. But, but yet and still, I'm going to be devoted to you. I would encourage you to make up in your mind that I'm going back to that place of deep fellowship, deep devotion, because the Lord is longing to have that deep uh, devotion or, or fellowship time with you. He's looking forward to it. And I would just ask tonight, if you could hear, hear the Lord audibly tonight, would you hear the Lord say, I miss you? Where, where have you been? What, why did you allow so-and-so to get in the way between us? Every, everything was going so well. Have I not been good to you? Have I not been loving to you? I wonder if we would hear the Lord say that. Let's pray. Father, as the worship team comes up, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord. For the fellowship we're allowed to have with you. And we pray to grow deeper in that fellowship. We pray to be strengthened in our walk with you. And as appropriate, Lord, if there's any of us who've sinned and allowing anything to draw a wedge in our walk with you, Lord, I pray that you stir, stir hearts to be convicted and that you would draw people to repentance, Lord. 
Remind them that you never left them, that you never stopped loving them, and you never will. For you are the eternal God. You're eternal. Which means that whatever is in your nature, whatever is within your character, whatever other attributes that you have, they are also eternal, including your love. So remind them, Lord, that, that you love them. You never stopped. And if there's anyone, Father, who does not have a personal relationship with you, I pray that you would draw them to Christ. I pray that you remove the spiritual blinders. I pray that they will complete the process of reconciliation that you've started in Christ. Your arms are wide open towards every woman, man, boy, and girl. If they would just repent and turn to you, putting their trust in your son, Jesus, for salvation. And so for those who you brought through that period in which they became complacent or they left their first love, but you brought them through it and their walk with you was strong again, Lord, I, I pray that you would stir up within them uh, just a song of praise. That you stir within them a heart of thanksgiving. And Father, may you equip us all for your work this week. May you use us for your glory according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I must say this as well. Because... Uh, you know, when you have a message that, that challenges you, um, sometimes there's a tendency to allow condemnation to overcome you. And, and so condemnation is not of God. You, you are his child. If any man is in Christ, you're a new creation. You're, you're not condemned. And so if you feel in condemnation at this point, that's of the enemy. But if you feel conviction, that's of God, because conviction draws you to God. It makes you want to say, Lord, I recognize my wrong and I agree with you is wrong and I'm sorry. And the fellowship is restored. Okay, you never stop being a son or daughter of God. So you never lost your salvation if you're truly saved. But the fellowship could be broken. It's restored when, when you confess your sins. You're back on the same page with him. First John chapter one, verse nine. And so conviction draws you to God. Condemnation pushes you away. So if it's something that makes you want to stay away from God, that's condemnation. Recognize it. Recognize the tactics of the enemy. And so the goal is not for you to leave here condemned. But if you're convicted, draw near to him. If you're not convicted, praise him for keeping you. Amen. Amen. If you're able to stand, please stand. Thank you for coming out. May God bless you. May God keep you. And we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.